Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Pop Culture, the podcast that brings soft drinks to the top of the menu. I'm Kat Brown, jack of all trades and four years sober. And I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author and lifelong teetotaler. So hello, welcome back to Pop Culture, everybody. We've officially launched. Hooray. It's not just a soft launch anymore. <laughs> hard, hard like alcohol-free whiskey. No, lost, lost that, Helen. What would be hard? Hard like the recyclable, positive feeling of a glass bottle of tonic water oh god help me hard like trying to carry out all my family's empty schlur bottles after christmas <laughs> there we go that's hard the like one. finding room for them in the fridge there we go that's that's the real <laughs> challenge here what have you been up to this week Hannah? have you been doing anything exciting well part of the reason that the ability to lose words has completely fallen out of my head is that i had some friends round for the first mini book club of 2024 and then immediately got a cold from the excitement of having oh, no. more than one person in my house that i wasn't related to so no, I'm just feeling slightly sorry for myself as I had that awful winter pre-Christmas cold that just seemed to be going around and around and around everybody like a hideous festive whirlpool. So just necking vitamin D and presumably hunting out drinks enriched with zinc and basically anything that anybody has even vaguely said might have cold reducing properties. How about you? I went through that all before Christmas because I had it for eight weeks, that bloody cold. <gasps> it was nightmarish. By the end, I was more honey and lemon than woman. I mean, it, it was, was very professional of you, Helen, to get rid of your eight-week cold before we launched the podcast. I try, except I was doing two other podcasts at the time, so it didn't work out super well, but hey, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's established, Helen. They're established. <laughs> it's fine. What are we drinking today? Well, today we are drinking green Coke sour cherry. I think it's Coke. Mm. It's called Green Sour Cherry now I look at it, but it looks like a Coke can. I'm very confused, but no. I am excited because sour cherries are nice. I like them. I don't wish to be needlessly controversial, but that's my stance. Oh my God, Helen. People are going to complain. They're going to write in letters, the Green and Brigade. <laughs> I've actually had this before and still was just like, oh, I've got green Coke in my fridge. It's that very distinctive typeface on the front of the can. If you look at it sort of sideways, you're like, well, that's obviously Coke because it's a bit twiddly and, and a bit fat. That's what I thought. But it's but just no. green. It's just the goodness of green. The goodness of green. Chellies. Chellies? Shall, we, shall we crack it open? Yes, please. 
Yes. That is extremely genuinely cherry-y. And I yes. say that because not everything that is quote-unquote cherry-flavored tastes anything like cherries. Now, this doesn't taste particularly sour cherry to me, I'm going to be honest, but it mm-hmm. does taste extremely actual cherry. No, I'm completely. Loving. I bought a cherry pie for Book Club, mm. and you could tell it was cherry because there were literal physical cherries in it, but it was just so gloopy and sweet and generic that it could have been a large but less exciting Mr. Kipling pie, whereas this is bloody good. The idea of this one, I think, is that it is supposed to be no added sugar, no aspartame, and 100% taste, (laughs) with sweetener from stevia plant, which sounds a little bit like someone who doesn't speak English wrote it, but that's Uh, fine. And I loved her work in Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) This entire can is just filled with words to trip over the person who has only ever seen things written down. Is it aspartame? Is it 100% taste? Stevia plant. Fortunately, the drink is absolutely delicious. Oh, Helen, we are slightly, not victimised, what's the other one? Vindicated. (laughs) (laughs) Cranking through to February. Because it said greencola.com on the back. So it... Okay, so I didn't totally make it up. I mean, they are, to be fair, flying fairly close to the wind, again, with that typeface and the green cola. Because isn't there a green Coke? There's some type of Coca-Cola that is allegedly slightly better for you. There's one that uses a slightly different type of sugar that's vaguely organic or something. Let me just have yeah. a quick look. Green Coke, a thing. Oh, my God. It was called Coca-Cola Life. Of course it bloody was. Oh, not interesting. And I, I was just speaking to someone who said that tasted mm. awful. I don't recall ever tasting it. The can for Coca-Cola Life is the most unpleasant shade of green. According to the company, Coca-Cola Life is sweetened with a blend of sugar and stevia leaf extract, which is green, and both are naturally sourced. However, it has faced criticism that its sugar levels are still very high, which is not a problem for green sour cherry, not Coke, but cola drink adjacent. Yeah, so this says it's got 3.3 grams of sugar Mm-mm. per 330 milliliter can, which seems pretty low to me. Not nothing, but pretty low. I just did look up that Coca-Cola life color. That's horrible. It looks like mm. army surplus Coke and I don't like it and I don't approve. And I feel like if they address Santa in that color instead of Coca-Cola red, he would not approve either. Mm-hmm. This green sour cherry cola adjacent drink tastes much sweeter than it should, given the amount of sugar that is or isn't in it. Yeah, well done us. But that's not the drink we're talking about today, is it? We Mm -hmm. are kind of focusing on a blank spot, let's be honest, in my knowledge, which is alcohol-free beer. I feel like we should probably define that some of the beers we may be talking about might have a tiny bit of alcohol in them, about the amount of a ripe banana. But generally speaking, alcohol-free beer seems to be one area where real progress has been made in the past 10 or so years. What can you tell me, Kat, about this vast blank spot in my knowledge? Well, Helen, I probably wouldn't wave a beer in your face and go, Helen, you love sugary drinks. You're really going to love alcohol-free beer. (laughs) I never drank beer when I was younger because it was so revolting, thin, incredibly sour, horrid. And I was always genuinely amazed that people would bother drinking pints of this stuff, whether they were at festivals, at university, when you could just have like gin and get drunk a bit more effectively, which seemed to be the point for everything. And when I stopped drinking years later, so 2019, And I did actually pick up a few of these, partly because my husband is quite into beer and during the pandemic ordered tons of alcohol-free beer to find some nice things to sort of go in the fridge without gently pickling himself every day. 
And my God, they've just improved so much. There's also really interestingly, a lot of breweries, particularly in the UK, that are focusing exclusively on producing alcohol-free beers. So it's not just the big players. I really, for example, love Peroni Zero, which is obviously a 0% version of the very popular beer. And pretty much any big name alcoholic beer that you can think of will have a non-alcoholic alternative now, not just for people who are on antibiotics or pregnant or, you know, big losers, Dave, what are you doing? But just because lots of people are now reaching for an alcohol-free option because they're pretty delicious and the pressure to drink seems to be skipping somewhat now, particularly now that the younger generation have come in, as we've spoken about before, and people who would initially have well, for a long time have experienced that sort of pressure of perhaps got different responsibilities in their lives and realistically aged up to a point where hangovers are borderline unbearable. One of my favourite, favourite brewers is Big Drop, who, again, only make alcohol-free beer, and they do an absolutely beautiful take on an IPA, which is a slightly... I need a listener now to write in to describe an IPA, but it's almost quite floral, not as thick as something like a stout or a Guinness, either visually or taste-wise, but just quite a nice friendly drink, like really good in the summer. They've often got something tropical added or a little bit floral, but not in a sugary, elderflowery sort of way. They're just delicious because they're not sweet, a flavour profile all on, all on their own. You will taste one eventually, and it'll be like nothing that you've ever tasted before. IPA is India Pale Ale. So would, does that mean it was literally made for people in hot climates? I mean, I'm, yes. I'm making wild assumptions there. I dimly remember that IPAs were brewed to take to India. Oh. So they had a slightly different brewing process, different to lager, but still lovely and fresh. And again, because it's not alcoholic, it has that slightly lighter taste and texture to it. Brewdog used to do, and I think has recently brought back a brilliant one called Hazy AF. And I drank loads of those in the pandemic when I lost all my work and ended up stripping and repainting the front door for a week. But your front door does look magnificent now. That's gorgeous. Make that clear. So yeah, how long did it take you then to get into the taste of beer? Has this literally been a sort of 20 year odyssey to begin to like beer? It definitely helped that I'd obviously drunk alcohol for a considerably long time before, but there are so many alcoholic drinks that you either like or you don't. They might just have flavours that are too strong, like I never really enjoyed Negronis, which were a very fashionable cocktail for a very long time and are quite bitter. I only really like particular whiskies, for example, so there was a lovely peaty one called Lefroig that I really enjoyed because it tasted a bit like you were tasting a world rather than just a whisky. It was very atmospheric and I like those drinks that almost sort of tell you a story more than anything. And I think that's something that I really enjoy from non-alcoholic beers now, because whereas with a lot, but not all of the alcohol-free spirits, there they feel that the story is missing. Whereas lots of the things that have been made specifically as an alcohol-free drink by people who want that flavour and want something more and aren't just filling a gap, which always just feels a little bit miserable and joyless, they can just be really fun and interesting. And again, I just, I really like bottles and I don't want to go around drinking like orangina all the time because I just would and my teeth would fall out in two seconds flat. I love an orangina. In fact, the one time I visited a brewery was the Guinness store in Dublin. Of course, it's a major tourist attraction in Dublin. Everybody goes. And if you, at least at that time, if you were not drinking Guinness at the end of the tour, they gave you orangina instead. So that's my go-to beer substitute officially. On the one occasion where I had the chance to drink beer, I was like, no, give me the orangina. I dimly remember an urban myth that if you had a pint of Guinness and an orange, that was all of your nutritional needs covered. And I love the idea that maybe an orangina provides the same thing. 
Sadly, I've heard more about that rumour, and I believe it's something like 21 pints of Guinness and five pints of orange juice. And sadly, the amount of alcohol involved would offset all of the other nutrients that you are getting. But I believe it is true that women in maternity wards in Dublin used to be given Guinness because it was considered to be high in iron and things like that that they needed after giving birth. So I think that was true. I don't know if that's true of Guinness Zero. Maybe that's something we can uh, investigate Mm. over the course of this series because, hey... There may be women out there who are drinking it during pregnancy and don't know about its possible postpartum benefits. We have also had some letters and some voicemails this week, which is lovely for our as yet unlabeled mailbag. I did suggest teabag to Helen earlier and then immediately had to recuse myself because I was giggling. Hello and happy holidays. This is Eden Kendall, one of the hosts of Uncluttered and Unfiltered, the podcast for women over 50. And I love your topic of non-alcoholic drinks because I'm a runner and I regularly host bar trivia. And sometimes I can't have an alcoholic beverage because I might be hitting the pavement the next day. So I typically will bring kombucha with me and the bartenders where I go don't mind it and I just pour it over ice. It has that bite to it that feels like an alcoholic drink and it comes in so many flavors so it kind of hits the spot perfectly. Helen, as the one remaining runner between us, what are your (laughs) thoughts on kombucha the night before a race? That was such a lovely message and I am so so on the same train. I think that's a great idea. Kombucha generally very, very healthy. I like it. It is a little bit of an acquired taste because of that vinegariness, you know, mm. and you you wouldn't necessarily sit down and drink gallons and gallons of the stuff. But I think it's a great growing up sippable alternative. If you're at a bar doing a bar quiz and you just want something that you can regularly sip and be part of the conviviality of the moment, I think that's a really good option. And yeah, lovely to meet virtually at least a fellow runner because it is something that we like gets talked about an awful lot on the course actually is, you know, there are some people who run so they can have a drink afterwards, but then there are lots of people who are trying to figure out what else they can reward themselves with or Mm. how to negotiate the nights when they're not drinking because they're running the next day. So yeah, super, super with that. Yeah, Eden, thank you so much for getting in touch. I actually did have a couple of other messages from runners on Mm. Twitter. We should probably call it by its other name, but I refuse. because I'm just I'm just not doing it. Quite a few people who got in touch there because I asked about people's favorite low or no alcohol beers. So for example, uh, John P. Merrigan said, I've been given pints of Erdinger Alcohol Frey. I think that's German. I'm very expert. At the finish of both the Berlin and Manchester marathons, oh. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a drink more than those. Oh, so lovely. You see, it really is a thing for runners. I just had a panic attack at the end of the London Marathon and was given no alcohol-free beer whatsoever. That's where they're going wrong. That, if you'd had a f- alcohol-free beer, you might have been fine. <laughs> we also had an email from Abe Froman, which is, I think, my new favourite name in the world. Helen, you had an extra detail to shed light on this, didn't well, you? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure I do, but in the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he masquerades as Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago, in order to get a booking at a fancy restaurant. So at least in my head... It is the Sausage King of Chicago who is now in contact with us, and that is very exciting. He says, Hello, really enjoying the pod so far. Thank you, Abe. Your 50 quid is in the post. I can heartily recommend Fever Tree's Mexican Lime Soda. They have a range of pretty overrated and expensive artsy mixers, but this one is excellent. I'd really like to see Arnold Palmer's on the map in the UK. Can you help with this, please? 
Nobody's ever heard of them and they are exquisite. Even at really fancy places that stock the correct ingredients, you have to find a very patient bartender in a quiet moment who's willing to let you talk them through it. All you'd really need behind the bar is a jug of iced tea and it'd be easy to make. You can add a splash of just about anything fruity to the mix too. Lime instead of lemon is great, a splash of orange or cranberry juice, syrups, etc., or mint. Let's normalize Arnold Palmer's over here. I want them in 500 milliliter bottles and the meal deal fridges. Thanks. <laughs> that is a good idea. So Arnold Palmer's, for anyone who doesn't know, he was a golfer, I believe. But his drink is iced tea plus lemonade in its classic combo. But all of those variations sound kind of interesting, actually. Mm. I think the closest that we've got is Nest Tea, or what used Nest. to be called Lipton Ice. And I do dimly remember seeing that in the meal deal fridges at Boots, but possibly in slightly smaller bottles mm. and perhaps just not as grown up looking or glamorous. But you're right. Iced tea is something that we don't have enough of over here, I think. But tea as an ingredient in drinks other than kombucha is absolutely delicious and mm. makes for really fabulous cocktails. Hard agree. Uh, so yeah, it would be nice to have more of that here and also just to explore iced tea a bit more. I mean, some of the iced teas I've had in the States have blown my head off with the amount of sugar in them. And you know me, I am a dessert girl. I have a mm -hmm. lot of sugar tolerance, but whoo. Maybe Helen 2024 should be our bless your heart summer and we just embrace <laughs> our inner southern bitchy grandma and uh, just start brewing jugs of the stuff. Bless your heart. Hello, this is Martin Austwick. I make Song by Song and Neutrino Watch and my favourite soft drink is kombucha. It's a really, really weird drink. There's lots of different flavours. Some of those flavours are awful and some of them are just a bit strange. And my experience as a result of it being such a weird drink has been kind of similar to my experience of drinking beer when I used to drink beer. Because the first time you drink beer, it, like no one likes the taste of it. It's not a nice taste. It's an acquired taste. And so is kombucha. So if you want a sort of slightly nerdy neckbeardish journey into a drink that initially you think is sort of smells of stale puddles like you did with beer kombucha is the perfect drink for you i can't really make it recommend a brand because there's tons out there and, and they're so different um some are fizzy and, and some of them are just like a pint of mild oh i love that <laughs> me too thank you, thank you martin it's such a perfect segue for this episode I'd never really thought about kombucha being an acquired taste because it was a taste that I acquired from the off, whereas my husband just thinks it's like being hit in the teeth with a bucket of hammers. Kombuchas can all taste completely different, but I suppose the base flavour is just there and you either sort of lean into it or, or you don't, but it can be extra sweetened, it can have fruity bits in it, it can have completely Looney Tunes flavours, and there's also just the ones that you can get in Pret if you want a very <laughs> entry-level one at an enormous markup. They are not cheap, but the comparison to craft beer, I think, is is spot on because it does give you so much scope for argument, for development. And also, as you know, for trying your own one at home and, and experimenting <laughs> with what you can do with it, which, you know, I have not had the guts to do yet. You're way ahead of me there. But but it does have that kind of energy to it. He's he's absolutely right. Mm. There's definite nerdery abounding. I don't think I ever recovered from looking at my SCOBY and being reminded of Martha, the brain in the jar mutant from the X-Men comics. But lo, Helen, we must segue. We must segue on. 
and why are we segueing and where and who and for why? <laughs> we are segueing to our very exciting guest. So we have joining us Mike Bags, who is one of the founders of Mash Gang, who are a no and low alcohol craft beer company. And I think they're going to go into other drinks as well. There's some little hints if you read their interviews and you look around on their website and you listen to what Mike's about to say. Spoiler. They're developing, mm -hmm. but they are basically a group of school friends, including chief brewer Jordan Childs and CEO James Loveday, who decided to start a business during lockdown and settled on this no and low alcohol brewing concern because several of them had young kids and you couldn't, as you said, you know, sit around drinking every evening and then have to haul yourself out of bed and deal with life the next morning. The group of them are scattered up and down the country, but Mike and Jordan were in London recently because Jordan was actually nominated for Brewer of the Year. Sweet um, woo. Yeah, which is a big deal for, again, a, a low and no alcohol brewer. I think he's now been nominated twice, but it is still a very, very rare thing. Now, Jordan was sadly called away to deal with a tricky batch of product, but Mike was able to sit down with me and talk to me all about their journey. So here is Mike Bags. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So yes, Michael Bagg's chief strategy officer, we think you are? Is yeah, that, that sounds about right. Chief. And founder? Uh, yeah, co-founder of Mash Gang. Yeah. Fantastic. So tell me about Mash, because I feel like a lot of people started with or tinkered with brewing during lockdown. You guys, however, the Mash Gang has gone quite a bit further than that. I caught COVID really early on. A bunch of my other friends did as well. And we all basically worked in industries that were shut down. So I was consulting at London Stadium at the time. Uh, all I did was basically help cancel Green Day and a bunch of other events. In the end, Jordan ran a big tattoo studio. Ben uh, was Elton John's photographer. Alex and James both worked within trade in different ways. You guys knew each other from school, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we all knew each other from school. Uh, we had nothing to do, so we sat in a telegram group because we were all basically furloughed or unemployed or underemployed because, you know, Elton John wasn't really touring. Uh, we started kicking around ideas, and we, we started off making jam. We went from normal jam to extreme jam quite quickly. We're like, you know, why isn't there not pineapple jam? Why isn't there banana jam? And, like, Jordan's not one to ever put anything down, so he picked it up and he was like, we well, you know... Uh, there's this wonderful Mexican drink you make with fermented pineapple skin, so I'm going to try that. He got into fermenting, and then at the same time, we were sending each other beer boxes, and half of us have got kids, so, you know, you can't have a 9% coffee stout in the afternoon because that ruins your evening. So we tried non-alcoholic beers, and we were like, most of these are pretty terrible. So we found one that was good, and we contacted a brewery called Northern Monk, and we said, your beer's great, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And they asked Jordan what kit he was using, and he sent back a picture of a demijohn in, like, uh, a rural container in 
in Wales and they were like you're an idiot come <laughs> come come visit us we'll have a chat so he went there uh, we did some of our first brews with them so we're very different to a lot of breweries in the UK I took a class on leadership and politics at Harvard and I had two teachers one professor worked both Obama campaigns and one worked Mitt Romney's campaign and they basically distilled in us this idea that decentralization is incredibly powerful. They were like, Obama decentralized power out so like groups of kids in Florida could start you know, running their own campaigns. Donald Trump decentralized a lot of power, so he owned that thing. But it was kind of spider and starfish style. Once you decentralize power, you can't bring it back. Mm. So, you know, his followers went a bit uh, off the corner of the map and there was nothing he could do. But then you get to companies. So people like Wikipedia, Uber, they basically decentralize power, lower barriers and let people get in and we were like well why don't we have a decentralized brewery none of us wants to do this as a full-time job we don't want to own a brewery we don't want to deal with logistics and have vans and kettles and all that boring stuff we haven't set up a company so we all put a grand in and jordan learned how to brew so we, you know we, we have to make our own products but we outsourced actual production to northern monk and we became a phantom brewery uh, we don't own our own one we've brewed in london we currently brew in aberdeen in the uk with fierce we've brewed in Croatia. We've got a site in Chicago now. Uh, Jordan's over in Milwaukee in like a week or so's time setting up brewing there. And uh, it's grown. The most unusual part of the story is that we are completely independent. We've mm. brought in no external money today. We started off with £5,000, no outside investment, and we've grown the business to, I think, seven and a half million valuation now. Amazing. And uh, yeah, we, we've had listings in supermarkets. I got us a collaboration with Crystal Palace last dry January, which is the first time uh, our Premier League club had had a, a dry January partner. Mm. We've made so many friends uh, along the way. So we the, the brand is essentially built around community. Yeah. And whereas a lot of people go like, oh, you know, beer drinkers are, are an interesting bunch, particularly craft beer drinkers. Like We've had an amount of negativity in the early days and we just won them over because people would say like, oh, you know, it's rubbish. You know, where's the point having alcohol-free beer we, we'd reply and we'd laugh at them and be like well you know if you're gonna, gonna go down that route why aren't you drinking sherry and they're like pardon they're like well why don't you go get a two pound bottle of sherry and then distill it so it's just, just get neat vodka what's the point in drinking anything other than cleaning spirits and they'll be like uh but oh okay right sorry <laughs> and we've um we've had breweries that laughed at us initially and they became after that was one of my questions actually is what is the the sort of collegiality level of the non-alcoholic or low alcoholic beer world like is there a feeling of competition or is there very much still a feeling of it's still such a thing that's growing from, yeah from a low level to i think quite rapidly growing to quite a high level so is there a feeling of people working together towards a sort of common goal almost at the moment yes there is okay, very good, much good. we're um so craft brewing is beautiful like half of us came from music initially the music industry for all of its pitfalls is actually a wonderful place it's very collaborative like we create lots of space for people to come in i think 20 something percent of people that work in the music industry are neurodiverse it's a wonderful great open space there's lots of lots of lots of terrible people in it but as an industry it's quite good right and brewing's exactly the same lots of people from independent punk and similar actually moved over to brewing and it's very collaborative so like if you look at the other big breweries in the uk lucky saint good karma jump ship like they're all friends of ours mm. like we we all know them very well jordan and james went along and did a lunch and learn right. with uh, luke and emma at lucky saint like a month or two back the second they won brand of the year i was texting emma congratulations we're all friends yeah and to be honest i think the market is growing at such a pace the market's way bigger than 
any of us could ever like if we capture a percentage of it each we're all multi-million pound companies mm. i think when you get to the size of a heineken or a diageo you know fighting over every inch of shelf space in a supermarket's like life and death for us it's not we're, yeah. we're still having fun and doing great stuff so what are your priorities as a company though when you're testing something out i'm guessing like what is it that makes you all go yeah this one i like this one let's do this i don't think we've really talked this through publicly before because i'm a strategy guy and i normally sit on a bunch of this stuff we basically have two threads we have one where we go we want to do big exciting silly things and that's the cornerstone of the business so we do cereal beers and we do big stouts that have two and a half tons of cherries in them and similar like uh, and everyone loves these beers but they're the beers that people have one of mm. or like people rush out and get one people don't buy a 16 pack of a sour mango margarita beer but having said that we did a collaboration with vault city this year which was only in dreams which was a strawberry and lime margarita pickleback beer and people reported buying like four or five pints of it one after another on tap because I just loved it so much. So we, we do the, the big silly stuff. And on the other hand, we love the basics. It's really unsexy to say in No Alk or beer in general, but we love dad lagers and we love No Alk, like low Alk beer. Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, uh, Miller High Life. Like these are some of our favorite beers from when we were young. Yeah. Like Jordan and I kicked around New York for a long time in punk bands, drinking questionable beer on the street corners. <laughs> and we wanted to bring that back. Stoop, our lager, we spent a year working on getting the final version done which mm. is a terrible long time to spend on a single beer and it's our highest rated beer it's one of the top seven globally ranked lagers alcoholic or non-alcoholic big brewery or small brewery on the world and we're incredibly proud of that mm. and we've also done low life recently which is our take on like an american low alk beer and again similarly everyone just jumped at that they loved it i think we really respect the love and craft that goes into making something mm that's so easily accessible and you know doing that in a way that's um doing what a big brewery does as a small brewery is incredibly hard and I think we're loved and respected for that because we don't turn our backs on like, you know, basic things. And you, you can't hide if it's a lager, if it's a, a good IPA, you can't hide behind throwing mango and stuff in there. We don't look out to hide bad beers. We we kind of split between the two. And when we know we're going to do something simple and do it beautiful, like mm. that's a beer that's accessible to everyone. I can send them to my mum and she loves them. And then on the other hand, if we want to do a cookie beer or something, we did some absolutely brilliant uh, pastry beers this year. We know not everyone's going to drink it and people might look at it and roll their eyes but they can still drink us mm. i mean i have to say so i'm i'm probably the wrong member of the pop culture team to be here because i'm the one who has never been a drinker at all so i have never taught myself to like beer and i feel like there is a, a stage for a lot of people they go through it as a yeah. teenager in theory at 18 but in practice usually much earlier where they teach themselves <laughs> right to like beer i've never done that yeah. I mean, would mash gang beers still be for me? Like, is, is this something, is it not too late, basically, for me to suddenly become a beer drinker? No, no, absolutely. I think these are, we are the perfect brand for people like you. When we did Hop City at um, Leeds, the Northern Monk like craft beer festival, two years in a row, absolutely and utterly blown away when the doors opened, the first people to rush through and come up to us at, and fanboy were people that looked like you. It was, you know, we, we put skeletons and melting face and stuff on cans, but it's, we know half our drinkers are women. And we know because we make these big, delicious beers that people look at it and they go like, if I'm going to have some friends over for an afternoon, it, we've, we basically are the non-alcoholic version of Bailey's. And it, it's, a, it's a talking point. You go like, I've got this beer, which is dark blue. Uh, it's orange creamsicle flavored IPA. 
and you know it has a, a lovely description of the hops and simmer on the back but uh, we know from when friends have used us for beer tastings at mm. like events people are surprised and delighted that mm. you know these beers are they're, they're big and fun and i think that's the exact kind of thing that's it's exciting to people that don't drink beer we know that 80 percent of the people that drink mash gang also drink full abv beers Mm-hmm. which is different um we rock the trend by having 50 percent female drinkers but we also appeal to older and younger drinkers and amongst younger drinkers they're people that may never drink full abv alcohol mm-hmm. they just have making a made the choice not to have it so if you're 20 and you're given the choice of having like a non-alcoholic gin and tonic which if you have no connection to the alcoholic version of it it's basically like drinking fizzy lemon juice they're going to go well i i don't want that i want mm-hmm. the the big melting face exploding motorbike pig beer which tastes like raspberry pudding and it's <laughs> it's neon green that's that's exciting and raspberry pudding has drawn me in but you you do, you do raise another issue that i wanted to ask about which is that the craft beer world has been notable for having incredible design yeah. there have there are a lot of times when i'm in like a little shishi pub or a deli or something and they've got a lineup of craft beers and i'm like i mean i suddenly want to drink because those are just beautiful containers is that something that you guys have, have worked on a lot as well because i know you've got quite kind of stripped back labels for your you know everyday orderable by the ks beers on your website but you also do some much more out there designs oh yes we're all big design nerds essentially like half the team are neurodiverse in, in some way or another and we all love trains and we love artwork and classic logos and designs and color schemes and so on and so forth and we bring that to life like we work with some of our favorite designers uh, there's a chap who's a member of combat wounded veteran who are an incredibly niche like american power violence band from the 90s and noughties and chris does some absolutely beautiful artwork for us because jordan as well comes from a background of tattooing we knew mm. great tattooing artists we knew great people that work in music that happened to do artwork and we say like we think you are the right person to do this particular piece and because of that we have a really broad palette I know lots of other breweries would love to work with the people we work with, but aside from that, they wouldn't be bold enough because they think, you know, if we step away from our traditional kind of branding, people won't know it's us. Mm. We're incredibly proud to come from that background of tattooing, street art, and like generally loving design. Mm. The label for Stoop has got such a, a long and winding history to it, but the version you see on Stoop and Stoop Extra Dry, particularly in Extra Dry actually, it's got the additional sheaths and bits of scrolls and stuff added to it, and those actually come from classic Japanese beer can designs from like Amazing. the 1940s. Right. I don't think we've ever talked about this, but people wouldn't know. Mm. And like when we did uh, National Anthem, so National Anthem is the cherry cola ice cream float stout we did. And it has three references to Lana Del Rey on the canon and the artwork. Again, like this is a, a massive spoiler. No one's known about this. So National Anthem is a Lana Del Rey song. The Ocean Drive Tunnel is actually used in the imagery. And it's Cherry Cola, which is the opening lyric of a song of one of her more famous um, albums. And we just, we just stuff culture into everything and sometimes people get it and they love it and sometimes they don't and we feel that if you don't get it it's still accessible you yeah. can still enjoy it that's so fun though because it is something for the, the nerds who are following every release that you oh, do and every single thing to really pick up on and pick apart i mean the same way if you're if you're lucky you could have swifties after you you know the way taylor swift fans yeah. decode every utterance every tweet every picture <laughs> that could be you in a few more years it could be we've, we've got some <laughs> fans who keep albums of our artwork 
and Amazing. it's beautiful. It's nice because we have this relationship with them. So we can go like, oh, um, do you happen to have that label? Because like, I can't remember when we did this or that. There was a point where in order to fit additional nutritional things and like we had to put stuff in different languages because mm. we export all over the world now, we had to take the founder's portraits off the can. We didn't think anyone noticed because, you know, it's pictures of five like ugly guys. And, and the reaction were people were like, why have you taken your faces off? Oh. It's very sweet. That's very sweet. You're not ugly for this. I've, I've seen pictures of all five of you. You're not. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but tell me, so what's been the most successful things? Have there been things that surprised you? Have there been things that you thought were going to be a surefire, massive hit and have just been kind of a bit more niche? Has it gone that way? The thing that we thought would be a surefire hit, mm. which ended up being completely niche. The first Halloween we were together, we did a Halloween beer and the sales of it, like pre-order sales were incredible and it died in the tank. It failed. So we had to refund everyone or we gave them like um, a different beer instead. And because of that, when it came around to the second year, we were like, all right, we'll, we'll do another Halloween beer. We'll make it bigger and sillier than before. And we did it and people bought it because they enjoyed opening cans because it poured green blue. And, you know, it looked like something from a horror film. And, <laughs> and people enjoyed getting it and opening it. But people only got one mm. because no one really wants to drink a green blue like four or five times so we learned quite quickly that those kind of event beers don't have to have massive supplies because otherwise you end up sitting with them in a warehouse somewhere but the biggest surprise we had was everyone said stouts don't sell in summer right. and we're not directed by trends or forecasting or sense so we did a run of maybe six or seven stouts this summer everyone loved them but they sold out immediately the cherry cola one was one we did a coffee and donut stout they absolutely flew and people were like you know you you, you can't do this. Mm. Stout is a all year round beer. It's just a case of people don't talk about it in summer. And the other thing as well is when you think of stout, sometimes you get like a nice chilled Guinness. And we basically told people to put it in the fridge and it brought out notes of the beer that people didn't normally notice from like, you know, dark, chocolatey, warm stouts you put it in the fridge suddenly it's pulling out notes of the cherries and there's um, an additional layer of scent going on and some of the more bitter ends in the hops we spend a lot of time working with universities and partnerships to figure out different things so mm. jordan and james are massive about bioengineering and changing the way we do stuff we are without a doubt one of the most science first breweries in the uk which is something we again don't really talk about you're getting so many weird exclusives which don't ladder up to much if anyone's trying to rip us off just listen to us talk we spill all the secrets but because of some of these things we do like i'm fascinated that at different temperatures different flavors dissipate or become more pronounced mm. i've had beers by breweries that i've loved and i've thrown them in the freezer to cool them down quicker when i've taken them out they've been a couple of degrees too cold and i've gone it tastes like trash it's water what have they done they've mm. changed a hot build or oh, they've i've made a cheaper product for a supermarket i take one out of the fridge an hour later i'm like oh no it's fine <laughs> the, the big surprise we had was stouts uh, and the, the funny thing is being us we have no stouts in the range this winter <laughs> we're, we're releasing like half a dozen lagers and you know lagers delicious <laughs> ice cold and minus two degree temperatures as well why not turn it upside down so i mean I, I read one interview with i think jordan talking about the ambition is not just beer the ambition is kind of everything you yeah know, expansion in new directions experiments with coffee experiments with energy drinks experiments with you name it is this very much medium to long term is the short to medium term how are you how are you thinking about some of this stuff it's all of the above mm. so we never intended to be a brewery we started out making jam we have released a jam actually we have our first um like adaptogenic soda came out recently dope soda we essentially oh. when the team were in the us we were like everyone from pbr through to all these microbreweries are like oh they're now doing like cbt oil weed beer and stuff and we were like this is fascinating and we can't do seven apes of that in the uk because of laws so we're like you know um impossible like shout out to mark as well like they're really close to us and we've done a collaboration with them we put together 
uh, our Arjanane centered bill of additional bits that made you uh, it's their social mix essentially it makes you more perky and happier and we were like right how do we do something else that's interesting around this we started tinkering some of the stuff and this whole idea of like it could be a soda like ice cream is going to be massive for us like right. if you think about people like Ben and Jerry's they've done ice cream and they've taken it as far as you can go in that direction and we want to take it in a completely different direction but one that's equally as mash gang as any of the stuff we've mentioned above it's like can we throw in loads of ingredients that don't necessarily go in ice cream and see what happens see what happens but we um we have every intention of doing coffee energy drinks and everything you said it was really interesting the grocer picked up that we trademarked those stuff we actually talked about it because it became a case that we we had conversation with the ideas that we wanted to do but like it was a moment of like everything's kind of a lot more public now and that's something we've not really had to deal with before to be honest we're still a small company and suddenly we've had a really busy year we won a bunch of awards jordan was nominated for brewer of the year twice in a short period of time by like the most respectable people on earth he was in Pasil magazine's 19 most influential people globally in food and drink this year the start of the year i wasn't one of the top three stories of pr week yesterday when i joined here i think our profile's grown at a rate we weren't anticipating which is great because there's another three founders that we can turn the spotlight on now and they can all deal with it but (laughs) i think a lot of the product innovation we're doing it's stuff that breweries wouldn't traditionally do and i think that's probably because we're not traditionally a brewery yeah also gives you the freedom like because you're not paying the mortgage on a brewery and having a certain set level of costs that you have to deal with every month you do have a little bit more freedom to brainstorm we don't call it brainstorming anyway blue sky ideas and yeah come up we can with new things we can blue sky things uh, this is it we're, we're in a situation we can upscale and downscale really quickly mm-hmm. so if we create something and it works we can just you know do much more of it a lot quicker than someone else would have to if they had to build a brewery or get tanks or what have you yeah. so tell me and tell the list is more to the point where can they get Mashgang? i mean obviously you have a website which we should probably yep. mention at mashgang.beer i think it's mashgang.shop as well it's, it's both and you are stocked in various places around the country as well yes you? we're in if you go to your local bottle shop you should be able to find us if you can't tell them to order us we've not done a lot of draft and one of the reasons we've not done draft is because no alk draft is super challenging because if you get bacteria in any of the couplings or something suddenly a 0.5 percent beer becomes a five percent beer or like it just goes sour we think we've had big breakthroughs and no alk draft so next year we're going to really 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 push we want to be on the rail in every great craft pub and mainstream pub hopefully in the uk uh, we'd like to be in every sports stadium everywhere you'd think i want to have a drink but i don't want to drink two pints of coke while watching a football match Mm -hmm. all right well michael thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me it's uh, been a pleasure So yeah, that is the Mash Gang. It's a really interesting kind of approach to a business to start with that no alcohol standard, I guess. It is. I'm just also completely obsessed by their background in music, by that punk attitude and aesthetic sort of leaning into brewing. The fact that so many of them are apparently neurodiverse is wonderful. Um, obviously I identify with that whilst having absolutely no plans to expand my remit into becoming Elton John's personal photographer or brewing beers. But the thing that really blew my mind about this, and I think this is again where I can just become fairly rigid about my ideas of drinks and what they can do in general, was the flavours that they were making, the colours that they were doing. Craft brewers in particular get this joy of being able to be a bit more flexible, particularly if they have a a decent audience over email and through social media, is just being able to make up these insane, incredibly imaginative and creative limited editions 
and just be like, oh, guys, we made this. It's uh, blue and green. Enjoy. Go nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Why not be imaginative? Why not have fun with it? You know, and I love that they are doing that and, and clearly developing quite a passionate following that is then yeah. encouraging them towards new madness or insanity or delight, uh, depending on your point of view. So I think it's wonderful. Community really is incredibly important. And more seriously, one of those sayings that does the rounds is that community is the opposite of addiction basically being able to feel invested in a brand almost like a, a drinks family being excited about what on earth they're going to come up with next is just brilliant and i also really love the way that so many brands now are doing these limited edition drinks whether it's changing things up in summer or bringing darker more sort of evergreen things through in winter it's just fantastic and it keeps everything fresh and it also just keeps keeps your tongue alive, Helen. Why did I say that? That's really creepy. No, I like it. I, I don't want my tongue to be alive and have its own oh, no. opinions, but equally it sounds bad to have a dead tongue. So it's somewhere in the middle there. In my call out for people's favorite alcohol-free beer, overwhelmingly people were saying the Guinness 0% is just mm. a banger apparently. Um, and I feel a sort of national pride that i probably should try it i'll work up to it maybe <laughs> peroni also came in for a lot of praise and then a variety of craft beers and things like this brooklyn lager special effects mm, that's very good kinnegar low tide which has the most charming mm. can ever it has a small dog on it cat oh love my it. god googling this immediately thank <laughs> you lucky saint came through yes will recommended that on our helen mcginn episode i've had a few of those and that's a really decent lager it's got flavor all the way through if that makes sense to literally anybody but yeah, no, sounds that's good to cracker. me and big drop of uh, came in that's i think that's one of the big uh, big names in the alcohol free world woo. as well that's got a few mentions. Even someone who got through two pregnancies and breastfeeding cycles on Corona Zero. That's from at Chocoholic132. She says, I'm furious as it turns out what I missed the most was a bottle of beer in the sun or while cooking dinner. Extensive testing shows it really does taste the same. I drink it often now <laughs> as it's cheaper. Fair play. <laughs> they really are, actually. Um, I suppose that's one of the things that feels almost counterintuitive given how like significant the price of drinking a non-alcoholic cocktail or spirit or something can be in a posh bar or a restaurant like those can still be around the same price as an alcoholic drink like non-alcoholic beers entire bottles of non-alcoholic fizz like really really reasonable we're talking two three quid so it is a bit more exciting than picking up the same six pack of your usual soft drink I had no idea there was a Corona Zero, though. Well, it's a very popular summer beer anyway, because it's all the branding is sort of very, I'm on holiday and this is fabulous. Mm. And you normally get it with like a slice a of big lime. wedge. Yes, exactly. And so, I know oh, it fabulous. from the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, that's another conversation entirely. If we ever get our lovely friend Manisha Ferdinand on, I'm fairly sure we could make an entire tasting menu of non-alcoholic versions of the drinks that they have throughout the Fast and the Furious franchise. They're very big into their Corona and Corona means family, I guess, for them. So who am I to argue? Well, if you have a favourite drink or a menu that you'd like to celebrate or shame from somewhere that you visited, or really any burning questions about soft drinks in general or particular, then do email us at popculturedrinkspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram we are at popculturedrinkspodcast. 
culture drinks podcast. We went for a really small, you know, manageable handle. I think that's the main thing. We also have a lovely bookshop storefront where you can go and shop for our favorite non-alcoholic books, books by us and books by our guests. So if you go to bookshop.org and search for pop culture, the soft drinks podcast, that should come up. And I think that's it for this episode, isn't it? I think it is. If you consider subscribing, that would be wonderful. Or leaving us a lovely five-star review on your podcast provider of choice. We will remember you in our wills, not with actually anything, but just we we will remember you and thank you for it. We'll see you back here next week for more soft drinks chat. Lots of love. Bye. Cheerio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 